Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. I listened to Drew Brees' story and, and the, the importance of faith and trusting what the Spirit's going to do. And we're going to see that, I think, in, in the, the passages we're looking at today. Uh, we're continuing our, our journey through Acts and the coming of the Holy Spirit permanently into the lives of Jesus' followers Last week, if you were with us, we, we looked at the coming of the Spirit into his first 120 disciples at the Jewish Pentecost who were there celebrating in, in Jerusalem. Empowered by the Spirit, the disciple Peter gets up, preaches a message, and 3,000 individuals commit their lives to Jesus Christ. And as you can imagine, the whole city is abuzz. And, and those first Christians were, were gathering together and seeking to intentionally follow Jesus in everything they did. And we'll, we'll look more at that part of it next week. But this week, we're going we're gonna to jump a little bit up into chapters 3 and 4 of Acts. And in this week's video, we're going to walk through both of those chapters. But this morning, we're going to kind of quickly look at Acts chapter 3 and really kind of focus our time on chapter 4. So let's open our Bibles to Acts 3. And we've been encouraged you to bring print or digital. So if you've got your Bible, hold it up. Print or digital. There we go. I got to tell you all, I think y'all are doing better than the, the second service. Keep working at it. If you do not have a Bible in a, or do not have a Bible in, a, in a, a modern translation that is readable for you, we would like to give you a Bible after this service out at Next Steps. It's that important, and we want to we encourage you in that. Um, so starting in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says, One day... So, in other words, this is not the next day. We don't know exactly how long after the Pentecost experience. But one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. The disciples, Peter and John, are headed to the temple for the afternoon prayer time. And they leave the temple complex and enter through the gate called Beautiful. Now, we don't know exactly. We're not 100% sure, but as we look at this slide, here's the temple. This is the temple complex. This is the uh, court of the Gentiles, uh, the big area where, where Peter preached. And it's, many believe this was considered the Beautiful Gate. This is the East Gate. This was considered the Beautiful Gate by, by many, though we don't know that for a fact. But it leads into the inner courts, and the only people who could come into the inner courts were Jews. Gentiles could be out here, but only Jews could come inside that, that door into that space. It was a, so it was a prime place for a beggar to seek assistance from pious Jews who were seeking God and wanting to... Uh, be obedient to God by giving alms. The man calls out to Peter and John, as certainly he'd done daily to everyone who had walked by for years or decades. But instead of handing him some money, Peter gives him something ultimately better. In verse 6 it says, Then 
Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. Every time I hear that, I think of the, the, old, the children's song. Some of you know that song. But silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. Now notice, Peter doesn't say simply, get up and walk. He doesn't say, I command you to get up and walk. Now, if you turn sometimes to certain television shows, you will hear someone maybe say that. But Peter is very, very clear that the the power for this miraculous healing is not from him, but from Jesus. He is absolutely fundamentally clear about that. And instantly, the man's atrophied legs, I mean, I, I cannot even imagine what it must have felt like. For, for years or decades to be unable to walk, to, um, to, to imagine how his legs must have shrunk down. And suddenly, it, it says his feet and ankles became strong. I mean, what a feeling that must have been. And for somebody who had not walked in we don't know how long, to be, begin to, it says, walking and jumping and praising God. And, and, and people see, have seen him there for years. Suddenly they realize, man, this is a miracle. This isn't your garden variety thing. This is a God-honest miracle. And so they gather to see. And Peter, inspired, empowered by the Holy Spirit, once again sees an opportunity to share the good news about Jesus. As before, he reminds the Jews that their sins led to Jesus' death on the cross, and yet God glorified him by raising him from the dead and giving them, therefore, a way forward. In verse 19, then, he says, Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This promise is, is for us as much as it was for those first crowds, guys. You and I need to hear that. Jesus offers us not only forgiveness from our past sins, but peace now in this time and place with God, with ourselves, to find it in our circumstances around us, and a hope for the future with Jesus forever. As we, if we, should we, if we also repent and turn to God. This isn't just a blanket promise that it's just going to happen. It's a promise if we repent and turn to God. And the alternative is clear. No forgiveness. No peace. No future. I mean, essentially, for the time being, it's hell on earth and eternal hell when our time here on earth ends. Luke tells us the good news of Jesus was, was clear to these listeners. Verse, jumping to chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. But the crowds, and, and, and especially the, the, the talk about this talk about Jesus, 
and this talk about the resurrection has gotten the attention of the Jewish leadership, and they don't let Peter finish. So chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees come up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So this is, they, in chapter 2, Peter's gotten to do his whole sermon. But here, they're, they're not going to let him go through the whole thing. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. Now, the priests and the captain of the temple guard were likely Sadducees, along with the other Sadducees leaders who they mentioned were there, who maybe didn't hold any special positions. And this group was greatly disturbed, Luke tells us. Because Peter and John were teaching. And that in itself was bad enough because that was these Jewish leaders' job. That was what they were supposed to be doing. And even worse, Scripture tells us, it was because they were, they were preaching in the name of Jesus that there would be a general resurrection of the dead. Now we need to know about the Sadducees, that they were sort of like the religious liberals of the day, of Judaism. They did not believe in the supernatural or the miraculous. They did not think miracles still happened or had happened. They did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in angels. And though there weren't that many of them, maybe only a a, a couple of 300, they were comfortable having the Romans in charge because the Romans allowed them through the Sanhedrin to essentially run things with a, a lot of power and control. As long as they kept things okay for the Romans. But Jesus and now his followers are rocking the boat. And so it says the next day, Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin, the ruling power there. And, and the Sanhedrin is made up mostly of Sadducees, although there are Pharisees. Now, when we look in the Gospels and we see the stories about Jesus, we see him constantly running into problems with the Pharisees. Because they were the legalistic ones. And there were many more of them. There were maybe 5,000 of them scattered out across Israel. So they they weren't just in Jerusalem. But now as, as we move forward here into Acts, we see that while there are still problems with the Pharisees, there are more problems with the Sadducees because of the miraculous things that have happened, because of of the coming of the Spirit, because of the resurrection that's being talked about. Luke tells us that Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest, who had presided over Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin on the, on the morning of Good Friday are there. These guys are the big guns, the big dogs. In fact, from what we know, Annas, the father, and Caiaphas, the son, or some of Annas' other sons or son-in-laws, essentially in c- controlled the high priesthood for three or four decades. They just, they, they were a lot of nepotism going on there. And... Um, while they had been present at Jesus' trial, remember, he had been a thorn in their side for three years. He was the leader of, of this radical teaching. Peter and John were just a couple of his followers. Yet, we see that things are starting to ramp up because they're really concerned about this religious sect, which they thought they had done away with, with the killing of Jesus. And now, for some reason, it's gaining momentum, and they're worried. They need to put a stop to this. A beggar who'd been unable to walk for, for it says, over 40 years is now up and walking. 
I mean, just, just imagine the PR nightmare that these guys are facing. He's walking. He's praising God. And these folks who say there are no more miracles and, and there is no resurrection and this guy named Jesus was a fraud. They're losing power. They're losing control. In verse 7 it says, They had Peter and John but brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Now remember, again, same folks who arrested Jesus, put him on trial, ultimately made sure he was crucified by the Romans. And these are the same disciples. These two are two of the, of the 11 who scattered at the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was just arrested. And this is the same Peter who that night denied Jesus three times, even to a maid who had no authority or power. And now he is standing before the Sanhedrin. And ordinarily, we'd expect Peter and, and, and John to be cowering, to be afraid, to be scared for their lives. But Luke tells us nothing can be further from the truth. Peter had been alone when he faced that maid. But now Luke tells us Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he responds in a totally different manner. Beginning in verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. And that's a quote from Psalm 118, 22. He goes on, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were, they were just unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the, the man was, who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Now here we see at least four biblical truths about being a witness for Jesus. First, and this is so important, guys, Jesus uses ordinary people. But through his, his spirit, enables, produces extraordinary witness. Peter and John, by all counts, were unschooled, ordinary men from Galilee, of all places. But with the Spirit living in them and working through them, that they not only bring Christ's healing to bear on this crippled beggar, but they also discover the courage to speak up and be witnesses for Jesus. And this aristocratic Sanhedrin is astonished. I mean, you've got to believe they're kind of blown away. And we have no indication that Peter and John had been planning this, set it up, anything. This was just one minute, they're going along. The Holy Spirit lays upon them to give this man something. And and a whole series of events begin to happen. It was just like any other day. Just like all of us. We never know what's going to happen next. 
Peter quotes scripture, Psalm 118.22, as I said, about the stone the builders rejected. And, then, and then we talk a little bit more about that in the video this week. He did that to show that Jesus' death and resurrection were the, were the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. I mean, how could Peter stand up before the Jewish leadership and proclaim God's good news about Jesus? Well, there were a couple of reasons. First, and this is what the Sanhedrin recognized, these men had been with Jesus. They'd been with him for three years. And that daily time helped them to know him, not just know about him, not just some facts and figures. They had a relationship with Jesus. And he made sure that they knew God's word. Second, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus' spirit, as Jesus had promised and given to them. It was Jesus working in and through them. They were the hands and feet and voice of Jesus just as he had promised. And what's cool and amazing is those options are still available to you and me today. To all of us who choose to put our faith in Jesus Christ. Those two exact options that were available to Peter and John are just as real, just as present today. We can spend time with Jesus every day through reading our Bibles, through prayer. Through, right now, our series and using the journal and the daily readings. And if we've committed our lives to him, we too have the Holy Spirit living in us. And we strive to be faithful to his leading in our lives. As, as Peter and John were, when the opportunity presented themselves, when it just happened, it wasn't like, we're going to do it this way. It was like, boom, they're just going through their lives and suddenly this, this beggar calls out to them, and certainly they'd heard him before. Maybe they'd heard other beggars that very day. But when this beggar calls out to them, something is different because the Holy Spirit impresses on them that they can do something more, and they respond. See, the Holy Spirit also not only works through us, but he works on others too. So the results aren't always dependent on us. We, we get afraid that it's, it's all up to me and it's all up to what I know and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. But God's spirit is working in it all. And you don't know that where God maybe has not been setting up a whole series of circumstances for you to walk in. And to, he gives you a leading. He gives you a prompting that he has been setting up. And do we obey? Do we think it's all up to me? Or do we think it's God's Spirit? We can trust God's Spirit. We can feel confident we're standing on solid ground because no, one, no one's ever disproved the resurrection of Jesus. And the evidence of lives changed by Him is all around us. Second, some, though, will try to dismiss our witness for Jesus. But here's the thing. You and I are not defenseless. I mean, this is really, this is kind of the flip side of this. Only weeks earlier when Jesus was still alive, he had promised them that, in fact, what was happening would happen. But he assured them that he was with them. Jesus said in Luke 21, he said, before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. Hmm. That sounds exactly like Acts 3 and 4. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And remember, the Sanhedrin asked him, by what power or what name did you do this? And Peter told them it was the name of Jesus. And, and 
Jesus goes on to say, this will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand. Beforehand, right now, before it ever happens. And how you will defend yourself. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. That's exactly what we see happening here in Acts 4. Once again, Jesus demonstrates that he can be trusted to do what he says he will do then and today. Remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he told the disciples that with the coming of the Holy Spirit, they would be his witnesses. And now that's exactly what's happening. And while many will be grateful for your witness, we've got to be honest, some will be indifferent. They won't care. They won't give it a second thought. And some will even be hostile and harsh and intolerant. All through the Bible, we see that God's people have always faced persecution. This is nothing new. And the the absence of persecution, in fact, may be a sign that God's people are not being very faithful to him and his cause. I guarantee you, the Sanhedrin would have never bothered with with Peter and John if they'd just simply given the beggar some money and gone on in and prayed. I guarantee you. But when they followed the leading of the Holy Spirit, these ordinary men, now we look back at them 2,000 years later and say, but they were the apostles. But I guarantee you, these, these guys didn't feel like anything special. And there's lots of evidence in the Gospels that, in fact, they made a mess of things at times. But God worked in and through them over and over again. And they opened themselves to the same kind of persecution Jesus warned about. And certainly he faced on the cross. Yet the Holy Spirit enabled Peter to present a defense of his faith in Jesus. Including the public healing of the beggar. That left them, scripture says, with nothing to say. Just as Jesus had promised. They were prepared. Not because they had, they had worried about it or they had studied. Or they'd say, we've, we've got we've to know all this stuff. They were prepared because they had spent time with Jesus every day. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So that Jesus gave them the words and wisdom they needed. Third, this morning, realize that as this text tells us, Jesus and the Christian faith claim he is the only way to salvation. Peter Peter didn't back down from this as he spoke to the Sanhedrin. Verse 12, he says, salvation is found in no one else than Jesus Christ of Nazareth. For there is no other name under heaven given to men and women by which we must be saved. God created us. He provided the only way for our sins to be atoned for and to be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ, which Jesus Christ himself alluded to and even said. In in Matthew 7, Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. And later, 
Jesus at the Last Supper would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, this is what Jesus said. This is what Scripture proclaims. And to some, this seems harsh, even offensive. But guys, here's something we need to realize. Truth is not relative. As much as some want to say it is. It's it's so common in our culture. People say, well, that's your truth. That's not my truth. And all this. But let me just think about this. If my doctor tells me, and I'm going to say this just looking down here at my buddy. who, If my doctor tells me my heart is failing and my only option is a heart transplant if I want to live, is that being harsh? Is that being intolerant? Is that being cruel? Is that being offensive? Or is he simply telling me the truth about what is best for me? Just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not true and best. Just because others think differently doesn't mean it's not true and best. In fact, it's easy to argue that that telling me the truth is not harsh, is not offensive, is not intolerant, but actually loving. Because even if it's not what I want to hear, it's what's best for me. To withhold the truth, to withhold it, is ultimately wrong, is ultimately evil, and ultimately furthers Satan's efforts. Because there's nothing Satan wants more than for you and me to dismiss the truth. Remember, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, he twisted the truth. He is a deceiver, a liar. And just because somebody says it with conviction, just because somebody feels it, doesn't make it so. And you and I need to hear that. We don't stand on our feelings. We stand on the gospel, which has withstood the test of 20 centuries. It leads to the fourth biblical truth about being a witness for Jesus, and I alluded to it a moment ago, and that is sharing our witness is just a critical way we love our neighbor. Peter and John's motivation to, to heal the crippled beggar and, and the motivation to speak about Jesus to the crowds, to the Sanhedrin, were the same. The love of Jesus. Jesus said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, Peter and John didn't do all this to make a name for themselves. They didn't do it because they were angry at the Sanhedrin for what the Sanhedrin had done to to their leader. They didn't do it to stick it in their eyes. They, look, we raised somebody from the dead. As much as they and we might like that idea and enjoy it, they did it because Jesus said they will know we are Christians by our Love. And love is the only power that can truly change a human heart. If Jesus is the only way, then failing to share that with others is not loving, it's sinful. Love changed the beggar. It changed 
the crowd who witnessed the miracle. And it would change a handful of the Pharisees. Because we know some of them have and are coming to faith in Jesus Christ in the Sanhedrin. And yet, interestingly, we have no record of any of the Sadducees ever welcoming Jesus into their lives. That's tragic. And some may think we're bigoted, we're hateful to believe Jesus is the only way to salvation. But our Lord, our Master, our Jesus, calls us to love God and love our neighbors. And one way we do that is by allowing His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to help us share our witness for Jesus in order to help them become His disciples too. See, we fail to love when we fail to share our witness. And James says, when you know what's right to do and you don't do it, that's also sin. Pastor Tim Keller has a, to me, it was just a, a really good observation about this in the early church and, and, and even now. This is what he wrote. He, he said they were both attractive and growing, yet hated and attacked. This description of the early church cuts us two ways. If on one hand we experience no attacks or persecution for our faith, it means we simply are being cowards. We're not taking risks in our witness. We're not being bold. On the other hand, if we experience attacks without a fruitfulness and attractiveness, that is if we get lots of persecution and no affirmation, it may mean that we're being persecuted for being harsh or insensitive or strident. Jesus said we would only be blessed if we were persecuted for righteousness' sake. It is quite possible, he writes. Indeed, it's, even, it's very normal for Christians to be persecuted not for their faith, but for their discourtesy, insensitivity, and a lack of warmth and respect in their dealings with others. Insensitive, harsh Christians will have persecution, but not praise. Cowardly Christians will have praise, but not persecution. Most Christians whose walk with God is weak actually get neither. But Christians who are closest to Jesus will get both, as he did. Out of love, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, Peter and John served as a conduit for Jesus' healing miracle of the beggar and his witness to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin didn't know what to do with them because everybody had seen the miracle. Everybody was talking about it. So they commanded him not to, them to, to talk about Jesus anymore. But in verse 19, it says, Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can't help it. We can't not do what's right. And their answer is ours. Both to those who don't like it, but also those who are ready and dying to hear. We can't help but tell what we have seen and heard. And though, as we're going to see in coming weeks, there may be consequences for our obedience and faithfulness to the Spirit. The Sanhedrin this time let Peter and John go, and, and everybody was praising God for what has happened. So I loved Drew Brees and his, his, his testimony. It didn't make sense. 
them to come to New Orleans after Katrina. But something told them that's what they needed to do. This week on on Monday, Lisa Rodriguez in our church emailed me. This is what she wrote. She said, good morning. On Sunday, I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to start a Bible study at work. Last year, the same thing happened during our church-wide study, but I was afraid to try it. Sunday, I decided I would do it and buy enough books in case all nine employees were interested. So far, three have signed up, and Right Now Media isn't blocked by IT. So we can use the PC to watch the videos. We're starting today at 9.30, using it as our lunch breaks. Could you pray for our group? Everyone's Christians, but few read the Bible, pray, or go to church. Thank you, Lisa. And on Tuesday, she emailed me back. Our meeting went great. We had some great discussions. Thank you for praying. Lisa followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, and she'd known once before it was something God was leading her to do, and she didn't do it. But this time, this time she did. And who knows what the, the, the long-term impact will be. I don't know. But she did it. She was faithful. And hers is only one of many stories I've heard this week about how God worked in surprising ways when people were faithful in their witness. Betsy shared with me a quote from Marianne Williamson that I slightly modified that I think speaks to us today. Our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light not our darkness that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all, all meant to shine, as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone who believes. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. I think that's a great word for us today. There's so much we can do if we know Jesus and we allow his spirit to work in us. In fact, there's no limit to what he can do. Just like Peter and John. They didn't say, look what we did. They said, look what happened in the name of Jesus. That power is available to you and me. The only question is, as we walk out of here this morning, will we seek it? Will we listen? Will we allow him to work in us? Or will we listen to the devil? No, I can't do that. No, they'll get mad at me. No. You are more powerful than you know. Because God's Spirit 
lives in every one of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that created the universe, for which we still do not have technology to see the very edge of. That power is living in you through God's Spirit. Trust Him. And if you need to talk to somebody, our prayer team will be down here. And they'd love to pray with you about that. Pray over you for that. If you haven't gotten in a group, it's still not too late. And we also, we have got women's groups on Wednesdays and, and men's groups. Uh, this afternoon, we're gonna, we moved it up er, earlier to 2 o'clock in the coffee shop so that uh, it wouldn't conflict with the game. And uh, you're welcome to join us. And in just a moment, after this service down on the Life Center, they're serving communion as a way of remembering and re-experiencing exactly what Jesus did for us. And if you're a guest, I'll be out here with some friends, and we'd love for you to stop by and say hello. So let's close in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for us, that we might know him and be known by him. But, but knowledge isn't enough. And so you have given us your Holy Spirit to equip and empower us to do abundantly more than we can imagine or ask. Help us to trust your Spirit at work in us or to welcome Jesus in so that we can have your Spirit and discover all that you can do when we allow you to work through us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. See you next time. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.